person here, I, you have six hats at least. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the shame of it is I'm not recording video because you've got a pretty nice hat But on. I'm wearing a hat. <laughs> yeah, Hello and welcome to episode 150 of the Rockstar CNO Effing Marketing Podcast. I'm your host Ian Truscott, I'm no rockstar, but on this weekly podcast I chat to the true rockstars, my fabulous guests and chums that I've met on my 20 year journey from sysadmin to CMO and share the marketing street knowledge that we hope will inspire your inner rockstar. It's Saturday the 21st of January, I used to ask, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? It seems after 150 consecutive Saturdays of doing this, somebody does and it's probably me as it's been a lot of fun and if you're a regular listener thank you hope you've had a great week and if it's your first time welcome this week i join jeff clark in the marketing studio and we continue to chat about campaigns i go backstage with the cmo of the veterinary emergency group leslie semigran and i celebrate 150 episodes with robert rose in the rockstar cmo virtual bar But first, we need to pay the bar tap. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. <laughs> Right, it's time for our weekly dose of Marketing Street Knowledge and drop by the Marketing Studio with Jeff Clark, our resident Rockstar CMO, strategy advisor and former research director at Forrester. Good morning, Ian. How are you doing? <laughs> Come on into the studio. Thank you very much, mate. How are you? Welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM. Thank you. Uh, it's it's good to have you uh, have you here. It's a, We have a very snowy cold uh you know view out my studio window <laughs> and so it's so glad to be in here warm and having a nice conversation let you have a window wow <laughs> yeah I do. and i see you have a window yeah. too yeah and we've got um we've got one of those freezing cold but bright blue days that uh are uh are awesome. kind of rare here and usually it's gray and miserable as you know um so one a wonderful crisp winter's day and a very good day to be in the studio as it were so we're in, in the warm so that's great so awesome. so jeff uh last week uh if the listeners uh persevered with us last week because we covered quite a lot of ground didn't we <laughs> and there are a few um rabbit holes that we stumbled into and climbed out of and one of those um so so last week just as a reminder we were talking about the four steps of creating campaigns and there were quite a few of those little rabbit holes um, and, but the, one of the points I wanted to pick up on, and while we're in this year, if we could talk about, was this temptation that B2B marketers often succumb to of their campaigns being about their products and not about their customer, which I think anybody who knows B2B, yes, yes. <laughs> anybody knows B2B marketers <laughs> know it's all about them, right? So, so what say you, Jeff? Yep. Why should we resist this temptation? Well, it is. Um... I think that the primary reason to resist the temptation is if you lead by talking about your product mm -hmm. first, you are assuming that the buyer has already determined that, you know, uh, they have a solution that you offer and you and maybe some competitors. Mm -hmm. And so now they're doing the shopping on the competitors. And so, you know, in commodity markets like, you know, laser printer toner or whatever, that certainly might be right. true. But for most of what, you know, I and you and our listeners have been working on marketing and selling for the years. That is just definitely not the right. case because in the buyer's journey, you know, the prospect is out looking for sources that understand their their issues, you know, what their needs are. You've got, you know, they're, 
they're they're sort of like scanning the world for potential approaches. Has anybody else had this yeah, problem, yeah. and how are they trying to solve it? So, so that's that's where you need to draw the prospect's attention, and then as you engage them and you you know go through the journey, although it's not a linear process, yeah. but as they step through and and go through their rabbit holes, <laughs> you want to make sure you're you're continuing to talk about needs yeah. and not about you know not about the the products and you know the, the I mean the big challenge is that so many companies are you know have product. Uh, business units mm-hmm. or sometimes they have industry mm-hmm. business units or, and 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 you know uh the product teams are are certainly an important you know uh function to collaborate yeah. with but it's like you know you just you don't want to lead with with that view you, and you don't want to take your internal view and say well that's the way we're going to approach the market so i mean basically what i'm hearing is the nub of this really is that our assumption because i like what you're saying here is that um that we're assuming the customer knows what they want basically right and that they know the solution to their problem and they know that they should be looking at our category and they should be looking at our competitors whereas what you're saying here is that that actually the buyer may not know that and they need a bit more education and they need to and they need to find somebody understands their needs first right and and they may they may have some inkling. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you know maybe you know they they uh, you know it's like you know we we bought a lot of Martech and it's over our histories and it's like well you know I think I need a new content mm-hmm. management solution yeah. da 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 and then, and then but then you realize it's like well mm, there's more the more I investigate the more I realize well there's more than one way mm-hmm. to address the yeah. problem I may be having so maybe it's not a content management solution maybe it's yeah. a you know maybe it's um, you know something else it's an MRM tool yeah. it's a this yeah, tool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, it you know there was oh, no go no ahead. no that's, that's you carry on I was I was yeah just moving to the next step. Well, I was just going to say there was a I mean there was an example a uh, company that that I worked with um, when I was at, at Serious Decisions and you know they were a company that had a uh, you know social media managing product and you know had it got into the market you know and if you go back you know. I guess I don't know, say five, six years mm-hmm. ago where these things were kind of new, yeah. <laughs> new and new. You know, it's like they, you know, they establish a foothold in the market and, um, you know, and then, you know, there's a, a, another product group within the company develops another, uh, another offering. So now they're, they're getting into social intelligence and analysis. Mm-hmm. So it's not just managing posting and things like that. It's like, we're trying to figure out, you know, what we're getting out mm-hmm. of this. And then, you know, and then they go buy, they go get into acquisition mode. And so now there's other companies that start dealing with more of the ad spend. Um, and, and so you go from, you know, and, and, and if, and if these as was the case, it's like you have these little product divisions and they're the ones that are calling the shots and the CEO is listening to them and saying, you know, well, what are we doing to support sales in your group and your group and your group? Yeah. But then marketing steps back and says, oh, my gosh, we are absolutely confusing the customer because we're talking to a lot of the same personas, mm-hmm. but we're giving him different messages. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and then in this particular case, then the, um, the, the head of sales wanted to go sell mm-hmm. up. So rather than talking to the social media team you know, and the digital team, I want to talk to the CMO. Right. Uh, and and so now you've got a like now you've got a big messaging hierarchy problem yeah. that you have to solve for, right. and so you need to shift to this more of an audience focus because you're right. confusing the heck out of All the right. audience of the out of the customer. Uh, so so this is the next client of yours. So just to summarize this up, so it's really a multi-product company built from acquisition, which a lot of us have worked in those kinds of environments, and each of these different divisions were then selling product-focused their tools. Um, and the, the yep. and the work we did with them was like, well, actually, you need to lift this up, and so it's more relevant. So you've got a broader story covering all of the all of the all, all yep. of the products, and they're not sort of tripping over each other. And uh, so, and yeah, and now, well, so, uh, well, I was thinking when we were talking. I mean, I use drifters a lot as an example when we talk about this sort of thing, um, because you know your your client had this exact you know had this sort of operation not operation marketing operational need to to move to move this stuff but i was also thinking about when we were talking about being more client focused in our messaging 
is if you think about somebody like Drift and they 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 their products basically chatbot or you know it's more than that but they had this they their messaging was around conversational marketing and conversational selling right so they shift the way they were talking about their product to be more about the need of the customer so is this also what we're talking about is recognizing that we need to do this yeah yes and 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 so you know if you start thinking about as the as you develop more yeah. products there there's kind of two things that end up happening is one is you end up engaging or having different mm. personas and different excuse me needs that yeah. you're fulfilling but they're also you've now created a suite of solutions yeah. for which you have more relevance for somebody at the next yeah. level up so you know as as the drifts and the and the you know the chatbots and conversational technologies get more right. effective and doing more things. Now it's like, okay, now the head of sales right. and the head of marketing are right. interested. Right. Or in the case of the customer I was working with, you know, they wanted to they wanted to go to the CMO. Yeah. So what's the message for the yeah. CMO that's you know probably around optimizing marketing efficiency, right. being more effective at the high level? And 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 by the way, people on my team, you know, mm-hmm. the comms People say, okay, we need to improve the way we manage social media. The ops yeah. team needs, oh, we need to gain insights from the social intelligence tools. Oh, the digital team says we need to optimize right. our advertising. So now I can create a campaign hierarchy, uh-huh. if you will, where there's a more of a high level, perhaps more of an awareness campaign yeah. at that C level. And then there's very specific, probably more demand activation oriented uh, yeah. campaigns that go to those other personas with those individual yeah, yeah. needs. So, and that's what I, I got nervous actually when you were saying about selling at the CMO level. I mean, both of us worked at an organization that decided to to um, adjust the messaging and, and sort of pit, decided that the CMO was going to be their target. And you know, I, I sat in a room where this was bit. Sometimes you're ready well, and sometimes I, I, you're not. Well, the thing, <laughs> the, what I like about what you just said, which was yes. We, your organize this organization need a CMO level type message in order to speak at that overarching level and talk to some of those high level marketing needs. But they still retain the fact that there were other personas in that buying group or within that organization that have needs, and that was part of the campaign hierarchy, right? Yep. Whereas when I first heard you talking yep. about, oh, we need to sell to CMO, I thought, oh bloody hell, here we go again. I've heard this story before, but that was that was yeah, that was <laughs> when. You know, you ignore the fact that absolutely you need to have a CMO story because they're the executive um, buying decision maker or whatever you want to say. But you but your champion and your sponsor and your buyer is probably lower than that. Right. So you need to still probably at the lower at the next level down. Yeah. Yeah. So that that got my hobby horse out of the way. That's good. So (laughs) so we've got we've got so we're making this shift right from talking about our products and features and functions and what what those benefits are. How do we make that shift? Well, so so one of the things you do is you 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 try to uh, create a uh, what I was called always called a campaign mm-hmm. hierarchy where you'd say okay what what are the different um, uh, you know individual campaigns that are based on this marriage of of business needs with with personas and can we can we create an organizing principle. Like, like as I was yeah. describing, where the the CMO maybe more of an awareness campaign is at the top level, and then underneath that are these individual more targeted mm-hmm. campaigns, and they they have to work yep. together because yeah. you know the messages need to align. They need to roll up to what that company brand yeah. message is. Um, but we've we've now we've determined which you know what are the organizing principles for our campaigns, and we can start mm-hmm. putting you know budget goals you know, uh, mm-hmm. people, you know, so who's going to, you know, because these things become cross-functional yeah. by nature, yeah. uh, now if we have to assemble teams where there's somebody who's leading this, you know, the charge on the campaigns, yeah. uh, and, and, and then, then the, the next, you know, actually probably the, the, the thing you need to do before that is to start right. setting yeah, the goals me, because once uh, you've created this hierarchy, now you... Yeah, I was going to interrupt you there because that's, I wanted to pick up on a couple of things that you were saying there. And that one of those is, is okay. you know, as you say, I mean, this is this is kind of eating away at <clears throat> the siloed nature of some marketing teams, right? That that teams are uh, are structured Absolutely. by product or by, by, by market or whatever it is, right? 
So how do you, <clears throat> what are the implications there? How do you set those goals that change that kind of dynamic? Yeah. So one is that you, for each of the um, needs and the buyer personas that you are going to market to, you, you need to understand what's our, what's our yeah. status with the prospect or the customer in the market. I mean, are we, are we blazing new ground and we need to actually establish our brand in this market before we get around to, you know, driving leads and opportunities? Uh, are we actually, maybe, you know, like the case with the, um, uh, the company I was talking about, social media, that started with a social media customer base. I mean, there, there, there's an existing customer base that I may need to be spending more, you know, of my time and effort in my campaign on providing or ensuring satisfaction, loyalty, you know, adoption of our product. Um, and then there's going to be some segments where, you know, this is all about, you know, we've actually established mm -hmm. ourselves and now it's, now it's out to, you know, generate revenue. So, so understanding the status where you are with the product has a lot to do with how you take your high level marketing goals and bring it down into that campaign. Um, and um, because, if we're making the shift from being a you know product or business unit uh, focused organization, now we need to sort of map. Okay, so I've created this need for um, a campaign around getting to marketing ops with mm -hmm. social intelligence. <clears throat> okay, what products am I driving with that? It's probably going to be a combination of products that that ultimately are are part of the the revenue outcomes from this campaign. So I need to I need to do that mapping because. I'll need to report back to the product or the business units and say, by the way, we, we, we ran these X number campaigns and here are the results we drove for your product or for your business unit. Um, and then you've got to do the math to say, how does this, how does this add up? You know, if marketing, you know, the, the executive team gave marketing some overall high level mm -hmm. goals, these campaigns are the parts that need to add up to what those high level right. goals are. So, you know, if I if I do the math, do they, right. do they, does our increase in revenue awareness, uh, other business yeah. objectives, do they actually add up to the right. total? Because this is our marketing yeah, yeah. activity, and if they don't add up to the total, right. then we've got to fill in the gaps. Right, right, right. Now. So the implications. So this is, I mean, that's one of the ways that you can help get rid of organizational silos, isn't it? It's by the goals that you set for the group. And you're saying that you set goals that are focused around the the customer and prospect. So how satisfied they are, how deeply our products are in there, the cross sell and upsell, that kind of thing, right? The adoption within those those things, um, and then mapping the products the buyers needs for the for the for the new business, and then making sure that all of this stuff maps up to what we were talking about last last week: awareness, revenue, trust, and enablement. That all of our campaigns are delivering on those things. Is that a good summary. <clears throat> right. Yep. Right. That is an excellent. <laughs> and then one of the other rabbit holes. By George, I think you've got. <laughs> well, what I'm what I'm a bit nervous about now is there was a there was another rabbit hole that we kind of nearly fell down last week, which was about budget. So it'd be remiss for us not to touch on it. I know we've only got like five minutes left, but what if we? So we we like like goals. Budget changes organizations. The way that we structure that, right? So. What's the implications for the marketing budget? Do we need to budget differently if we take this approach? Yeah, and 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 I think uh, again, you know, to typically marketing um, budgets get allocated mm -hmm. by function and or function plus the product or business yeah. unit, and so now you need to do the matrix, which says, okay, I've set up. Like in my example, I've set up four yeah. campaigns. Um, some campaigns are going to spend more on awareness tactics. Some are going to spend more on demand creation. Some are going to spend more on post-purchase satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So, so can I can I actually sit, say let's you know, let's take the headcount, capital expense, maybe our tech mm -hmm. uh, and our shared services, and we're going to set those aside because those kind of get papered across <laughs> yeah. the campaigns, and then all of the all of the activity that is more about engaging and, and putting our face out in the market, we're going to put that in the different campaign buckets. Um, and the, and, and, and then, you know, again, do the kind of the, 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 the matrix budgeting, which says, well, so much out of the comms budget is going to go to campaign mm -hmm. one, two, three, four. Um, the beauty of this is that you can say, you know, I put X million dollars into 
campaign A and it drove, you know, it drove X in or five X in revenue or it drove a 20% increase in awareness or, you know, it measuring the impact of marketing at a tactical level is, um, is hard, if not impossible to be accurate. Whereas measuring at this higher level becomes more accurate um, to be able to say, I've got a campaign ROI. I put so much in, I got so much out and so much results, or I didn't, (laughs) and we need to do better. Yeah, that's interesting because Robert Rose, who's obviously on this show, one of the examples he uses is that he he talks about a client where they just started doing marketing fresh, started doing all of the things, and then when they looked at – and then their sales grow, and it was very successful, and they looked at which part of the marketing was successful – and when they looked at all the individual pieces, none of them had really been successful. It was the culmination of the lot. So yeah. I'm really attracted to this idea that you've got here is that the higher you measure in a way, the the more you're going to you, you more you're going to get a better picture of because the fact that I mean it's like we've talked about, isn't it? The brand. If you've got a stronger brand, your PPC performs better because people know your name, right? So, but that's Absolutely. hard to attribute. So yep. the higher you measure by the sounds of things, the more likely you are to find, you know, whether you're being effective or not kind of thing. And, and the more relevant it is to mm. your executive yes. audience. Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. Frankly, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because, and, 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 you know, we've probably yeah. all got the, the questions of, yeah. So what did that webcast <laughs> yeah, deliver, yeah. you know, or what did yeah. that, you know, what's that event yeah. delivering for us? Yeah. And you go, uh, you know, we've got so many leads. Well, yeah. you know, then you get it down the rabbit holes yeah. of, of, you know, was that really impactful? Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas if you, if you look at the higher level, you yeah. can, you can hopefully yeah, show impact. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and also it recognizes the fact that all of your marketing efforts probably impact each other. And some of that impact is hard to attribute. So yes. you might have a wild, and- and it's across a buyer yeah. journey where they're, you know, they're engaging 16, 17, yeah. 18, you know, times yeah. with an organization before yeah, they make a decision. Absolutely. All right. So that's good. So we need to take a customer centered approach to our campaigns. I think you've made a very strong argument there today in the studio for that. And then we've got the last uh, part of our agenda item. What song are we going for this week, Jeff? We're, we're going to end up with lose yourself i i realize the title <laughs> by eminem i realize the title doesn't quite <laughs> yeah. tell the story but you know he says it if you had one shot or one opportunity would you capture it or just let it slip so i think nice. this is one of the ways that marketing gets their one shot to do it right love and it succeed. perfect i love that song thank you very much jeff and uh, will i see you in the studio next week absolutely all right my friend well, well, welcome you back in <laughs> Look, if you had one shot, or one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted, one moment, would you capture it? Just let it slip. Yo. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti, he's nervous, but on the surface he looks calm and ready to drop palms. But he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down. The whole crowd goes so loud, he opens his mouth, but the words won't come out. He's choking how? Everybody's choking now. The clock's run out. Time's up, over, plow. Snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Oh, there goes gravity. Choke. Thank you, Jeff. And that was, of course, Eminem and Lose Yourself from 2002. And if you have any thoughts on the topics we cover or want to get in touch with Jeff, you can contact us through the website rockstarcmo.com. Right, time to go backstage with my guest. Leslie Semigrand, CMO of the Veterinary Emergency Group. Leslie joined Veg in 2019 after working in B2C and B2B marketing for Care.com, Ladders and TheStreet.com. She loves building the Veg brand, driving growth and telling the veggie stories. Leslie is from outside Philly, studied business and finance at the University of Michigan. Apparently, at this point, I need to say go blue and join us from New York. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Leslie. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. And, and Leslie, for folks that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Yeah, sure. I'm a New York-based marketing leader. Uh, most of my experience has been actually on the B2C startup world, mm-hmm. mostly in online service offerings. So all different industries, from financial services to the job search industry um, to home and child care. Yeah. I've been at VEG, Veterinary Emergency Group, for a little over three years now. Um, I have a husband who works in financial services, and I have three daughters at home. Oh, splendid. And where are you based? Uh, New York in Westchester, right oh, outside the city. Lovely. Yes. Yeah. I've spent some time there myself. I used to work in New York. And I lived in uh, Connecticut, so I whiz past where you are on a daily basis. So, <laughs> Okay, we just opened uh, a veg in Greenwich. Oh, nice. Very nice. Greenwich is beautiful, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Not bad. Is it? Uh, did you go to the opening and spend some time out there? Yeah, I yeah. did. Um, we opened just at the end of the year, so mm-hmm. we'll typically do you know some fun opening party, ribbon cutting, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, but we actually also um, produced some videos right before the hospital opened um, in the Greenwich location, too. So I spent some time there. Nice. All right. Well, I better get to the first question. And what is it that the Veg do? Tell us a bit about the work you're doing. Yeah, sure. Um, so Veg is a group of pet emergency hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, we, our mission is helping people and pets when they need it most. So the company's differentiated in that we're the only like national ER only company in the veterinary space. And we really market ourselves as having a unique and better customer experience. So you get to stay with your pet through the whole experience. Uh, you can call and speak to a doctor. You come in, you see a doctor right away. Um, so it's not maybe what you think of in the human world of going to an emergency room. Um, And we also have the best emergency professionals, so they can handle any issue with your pet from big to small. And Greenwich was our 40th hospital that we've opened in the U.S. Wow, yeah, because that means my notes are out of date, because when we were going to chat first time, I know we had to postpone. I think you only had 36 emergency rooms back then, so now we're up to 40, so that's incredible. Yes, we opened a few at the end of the year. (laughs) I'll ask you about your growth in a second. But back to you. I mean, looking at your career, you've had a fabulous career. You, you started out as a marketing associate. You're now a CMO. What inspired you to choose that career in marketing when you were first starting out? Um, thank you. I did not choose it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of other people that say that. Yeah. Um, but it kind of chose me. Mm-hmm. I actually um, I graduated from University of Michigan, their undergraduate business school. Yeah. And I went into financial services and accounting and quickly realized that was not <laughs> uh, the right yeah. function or type of environment for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I really got lucky. I applied online, something called monster.com. If mm-hmm. you had ever heard yeah, of it, yeah. um, back in like 2000, 2001, I applied to a job at the street.com that was digital marketing yeah. at the time. It was really the kind of like the start of digital marketing, the yeah. start of paid search. There was no social, uh, wow, yeah. social media. Yeah. Um, and it really just like struck a chord with me, the combination of the creative side of it and the mm-hmm. analytical side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that a lot, actually. And I have had some people who've come on who started off, you know, with that with that kind of um, early career in either in financial accounting or some, you know, professional services, and then, uh, and then have come into marketing. And, and it seems that exactly as you say that combination of creative but also that accounting bit is still in there so the yeah, the, yeah so the data stuff still fascinates uh, the marketers that I come from that background yeah i think it serves me well yeah understand absolutely. you know understanding I, the numbers being able to work a spreadsheet yeah. you don't expect that always in marketing but it's actually like a key key component of what we do especially in the digital space well I've, i think it's it's become something that all marketers now need to consider right as we I mean there's a lot of talk about us being described as the coloring in department right and as we want to move out and want to have proper conversations with the c-suite we need to understand the numbers we need to understand the data and stuff so I think it's a it's a skill now all marketers need right yeah for sure yeah yeah and so in your career you 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 talked about where you started you've also done b2b marketing which is where Mm -hmm. which is where I sit 
Um, so mm-hmm. I know a bit more about that. You've done B to C during your career as well. I've never come across anybody who markets veterinary care before. So what's the okay. difference? What have you found with, you know, moving into this category? Is it, it, it it's, it's presumably more your B to C, isn't it? It's, it's kind of that experience that you've had. Uh, so it's a little bit of both. I did yeah. start my career more on the B to C side. Yeah. Um, I'd say that's probably more of my love. Um, <laughs> yeah. But- I got very lucky uh, when I was at a company called The Ladders. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the middle of my career trajectory there, my boss said, great, I'm picking you up and moving you over to B2B, like yeah. giving you a new opportunity. You're going to get bored. Let's go. Yeah. Um, and it was scary. <laughs> it was scary. Um, but it was the best experience I could have had. So I really owe like the willingness to let me grow and try something new um, to him in that organization that I was able to learn more about the business, the sales side, et cetera. Um, Specific to veterinary care, I'd say the biggest difference for me personally is the physical locations. Right. right. More in like the, you know, comparable to retail, for example. Um, And then specifically to veterinary care, I would say, the biggest challenge was learning the industry just from the perspective of the different types of veterinary care. Mm-hmm. So general practice, specialty, emergency, and then being able to weave into our marketing and our branding, not just to um, consumers, but also for recruitment purposes, why emergency is the place to be. Right, right. What are the you know reasons you want to work in emergency? What's the excitement? What do you get to do? How you're a superhero? Um, and <laughs> that nature yeah that's that's really cool. and it must be very it, there must be quite a um a, a broad um broad aspects of marketing that you do from an audience perspective so you're probably doing some brand marketing so that everybody knows who veg are but also you need to let the folks know like we were just talking about greenwich within a particular radius right that you guys are available because you know you can't yeah. You know, it's, so it's another interesting thing also about emergency yeah. uh, is that I need to, our team needs to drive awareness yeah. and it needs to drive traffic, yeah. but you have to actually be having an emergency. Right, right. So right. I need you to know about veg before you're having an emergency. Maybe you've heard about it from your primary vet. Maybe you've searched online. Maybe you heard about it from family and friends. Mm-hmm. I really need all of those to happen so yeah. that when you are in an emergency, you are in a crisis, something unexpected is happening, or you're just, yeah. your dog's throwing up all over the place, yeah. you know where to go. <laughs> yeah, but that, I mean, that's a common problem for all of us, isn't it? Is that the, these days, a lot of people are kind of driven by um, paid search and things like that, and intent marketing, where they're, they're trying to get somebody when they've got the problem, describing the problem. But it's far better if somebody says, I need the help of veg. I need to. I need the help of this brand name, right? So you need to do that brand awareness. So they look for you, right, rather than the, the generic. Yeah. So current right now, they're searching for emergency vet near me yeah. or something of that nature, yeah. and very soon they'll just be searching for, for veg. Where's the veg near me? Yeah. <laughs> and how do you split that out? Do you do you spend a lot of time on brand marketing, and do you need to then do you do you tend to just focus on where you've got your where you've got your emergency rooms or is it is there a national campaign you do um we do focus more just where we have or have coming um our clinics our hospitals but we're coming everywhere (laughs) we're gonna be in every major location so we take that into consideration as well just as the hospitals are coming up online yeah it's a fascinating marketing challenge and from the outside i mean the other thing as well is because i'm talking to you from the uk so it might be that all my us listeners know exactly who veg are so apologies if i'm asking questions that they already know the answers to but from the outside it seems like you're a really high growth company as we were discussing just a moment ago you've grown from one hospital to 40 emergency rooms now in is it now 12 states or are you now in 14 states is there is it more uh it's probably closer to 14 nice all right and yeah. this high growth i mean it's like it's been only in a few years right and so does it feel like you're working in a startup oh yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. which I, is what i love so yeah. i embrace that <laughs> um super high growth yeah. i would say it's not for everybody you kind of have to know what the right environment is for you mm-hmm. what the right culture is for you um typical probably of any startup constant change Mm. you have to be open to ideas from anyone and everyone yeah and is that it's only 
marketing. Is that constant change one of the challenges you've seen? I mean, a lot, a lot of, um, you know, sort of what advice would you give to marketers who are in those high growth organizations? Is it that agility and needing to deal with change that comes through? Yeah, it is a challenge. It's but it, it for for me, it's part of what I like. It, I think the advice I'd give is just to like be as transparent as possible and in, as inclusive as possible. Yeah. You'll get the best ideas and execution when you're collaborating across the teams, and that there's not kind of walls sitting in between, so that when things are changing, everyone's kind of changing with them together. Right. Um, you're also able to always try new things and then see if they scale. Yeah. Some will, some won't. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I find that people, there's not a ton of like patience for waiting. <laughs> so you have to yeah. be willing to kind of say like, let's go do it. Let's, yeah. go, let's do it. Let's yeah. get better every day. Let's try something else, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, so, and also you have to be comfortable with not a lot of structure. Right. So it's very much that agile marketing methodology and trying stuff. And if it fails, stop it, try something else and off you go. Right. Yeah. yeah. And have you found in your own role where you, you, you do you need to wear multiple hats? You know, like in a in a more established organization, you'd have your specialist digital marketer. You'd have all these specialists going on. Have you found that to be your experience with being in a high growth environment? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, not, I think for every person here, I you have six hats at least. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the shame of it is I'm not recording video because you've got a pretty nice hat but on. But I'm wearing a hat, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> some hat on right now, just the one. Um, so it's good. And then uh, from from looking around and seeing what you guys do and doing my bit of preparation to have a chat with you because we didn't know you before, um, what I've seen your colleagues post on LinkedIn is a lot about the values of Veg, and that seems to be important. Is that something you see the CMO's role in driving. So is that part of what, a part of your everyday that you need to drive these values? Uh, definitely. Yeah. So we have four core values at Veg: mm-hmm. openness, togetherness, meaningful moments, and heroic helping. Yeah, like so a big part of my team's job is internal marketing. Yeah. Also kind of showing all of our Veg hospitals, what's going on across we call it the vegolution. <laughs> um, so sharing and driving examples and showing how these core values are coming out across the nation, yeah. not just at our headquarters, but at all of our different veg hospitals. Yeah. Um, and also just showing how the values guide our decision making mm-hmm. all across the board. So I see the team as being a big part of driving those, but it's really a key part of our culture and veg overall. So those values have to resonate with you yeah, to yeah. really want to work here and want to be successful here. Yeah, it must be very rewarding for you if that's very important to you to see your colleagues share that stuff on LinkedIn, I imagine. And you know then that it's it's making an impact on everybody, right? And were you around when you were defining those values? What was your process? What process do you go through to define the values and then and then get them out? Um, I was, I probably was the beginning of when I started. Yeah. Um, it was mostly driven by our um, our founders, right, right, right. Um, kind of discovering those as the first few veggies were built, yeah. and we saw the our differentiators and what was important to our culture and what was driving the continued innovation and differentiation. It, honed in around those four right and you and you talked there a bit about internal marketing on that so what do you what do you do you highlight examples of where those values have have been um shown by your members of staff and then and then market those internally yeah we have like an internal um an internal communication system and our we also call ourselves veggies (laughs) um so it's actually one of the easiest jobs in that respect, because our veggies are always posting pictures of everything that's happening in the hospital, talking about surgeries, talking about um, fresh veggies that join the team, (laughs) showing their meaningful moments, showing their celebrations. Um, It's a great platform that allows everybody to share those and get to know people across the country that work at veg. Um, So that's really the main way that we kind of, drive people sharing that kind of information and then they share it on our external social media too which will then reshare and if yeah. you follow us you can see just kind of like the yeah. amount of great things that are happening there every day yeah. and it and I, sorry i had to laugh when you said fresh veggies i mean you must have so much yeah. fun with the word veg oh. <laughs> 
we have a lot of puns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what? Um, and is that so? You drive that internal comms from your from within your team, and do you find? I mean, it sounds like you've built a culture where it's just coming naturally to the these. But everybody's different in terms of an employee demographic mix. Do you find mm-hmm. that that you you need to work with some people to get them on board, or has it been pretty much universally? Yay, we're veggies. Um, I mean, I'd like to say that (laughs) universally, I think people know what they're getting into. They see it on social media. We are transparent. We are open. Um, You can see at a conference in the veterinary space, the difference between veg and everybody else. You get the vibe, you get the feel. Um, And then when you come into our hospitals, they're completely open. There's just sharing between the doctors, the nurses, uh, the customers, the patients, the pets, yeah. um, to be part of the whole experience. Right. So I think, I do think some people quickly realize, okay, that's nice, but it's not for me. Right. right. But at least you're defining, right? You're saying this is what it means to be, to be working here. This is, this is who we are. Yeah. Right. And, and they'll know that if they follow you, as I say, you know, I picked up on this from social media, so they'll know that, won't they? From before they even join what, what, what it means to be a yeah. veggie, I guess. If you let me use that term, so I just love it, I think. For sure, yeah. <laughs> All right, so, sorry, I've, I've got a bit of a cold. No, I'm not going to cough. I thought I was going to cough then. All right, um, the, one of the other things about your career, so that's, uh, I mean, it sounds like you've got a really amazing role and, and where you come from and what you're doing there with that. I, I really want to pick up on that, you know, cultural, the values thing that you were talking about. But um, back to your career, you spent some time freelancing as a consultant. Well, and, it, and it's a conversation we have quite a lot on, on the podcast and I've had with, with colleagues and stuff. What advice would you give to, to people who are considering doing that? I know you're not doing that now, but how was it when you decided that's what you were going to do? I think my best advice related to consulting is just to really think about if it's right for you yeah. versus if it just seems... Like kind of, it's not easy, but like the an easy thing to get into. Yeah. Um, I think when I decided to start doing it, it it was more because I thought that it would kind of just be easier for my lifestyle at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't right for me at the time because a lot of what we've talked about here is around cult driving yes. culture and driving the team and working cross functionally, and you don't have that. Right. As much when you're in a consulting right. arrangement, you're, you know, you're in and you're out a bit yeah. and it didn't make me happy. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't realize that. Um, so this is. With the, caveat, with the caveat of it's how I found veg. Yeah, so yeah. it can, sometimes you need to just shake it up and try a few things yeah. and see where you land. And it worked for me in that respect, but I couldn't have seen myself doing it right permanently right that's really interesting because most of the time especially with hustle culture right now is most people are yeah absolutely go do your own thing but you're absolutely right it's quite a lonely business isn't it and you don't get that if you're really into the culture and the other thing i found is is when you're consulting you can tell an organization to do something or suggest an organization does something but it's quite often being the person that gets it done is actually more rewarding than saying to somebody, you ought to be doing this. And then when they don't, <laughs> you're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's really interesting. So there's a word of warning there on becoming a freelancer. So I like that. That's very honest. Thank you very much. So I'm going to get mm-hmm. to our final question, just looking at the time. Um, we have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool, our portal to marketing hell, where we throw all the bullshit, snake oil and overhyped trends that plague this industry you love. What would you chuck in there? Uh, it's an interesting, interesting <laughs> I'm sure there's tons of answers, yeah. but off the top of my head, I am really aggravated these days by the robo calling campaigns yes. to our cell phones. Yeah, so yeah. I would like to have the really chuck those in there and get rid of them. <laughs> I think that's a perfect candidate. In fact, anything automated like that got to go, right? It's cheap. It's easy. We all know that. And it has a 0.03% response rate. So just think yeah. about the 99.97 people you're pissing off along the way, right? Pissing off, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So, Leslie, thank you very much for coming on the show. When people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Oh, sorry. I didn't hear that. <laughs> uh, where are people going to find you on the, on the interweb? So are you on LinkedIn? You're on Twitter? Where do you hang out? 
Oh, yeah. Uh, LinkedIn, a little bit of Instagram. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, I'll link And also, where where can people find Veg? If they've got a, a puppy that's, that's throwing up all over the kitchen, where are they going to go? Yeah, go to veg.com. We have our locations page. You can find a location near you and the locations that are coming soon as well. Splendid. Well, I'll include links to you, to veg, the veggies, <laughs> and all that stuff in the show notes. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I look forward to speaking to you again. Leslie, thanks very much. Perfect. Great to meet you. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you, Leslie. That was fun and a refreshing reflection there on being a freelancer. And anything robo is always a popular nomination for the pool around here. I will, of course, include all of Leslie's links in the show notes. Right, it's time to wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and celebrate 150 episodes with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, with a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Well, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. And, by the way, happy 150th show. It's so wonderful Thank to celebrate. and show. I mean, 150 shows, holy smokers, that's a lot. <laughs> Says the man, you're on like 300 and something else, aren't you? On, on uh, this old marketing, we are indeed. We are we are at three. We are yeah. at 360 as we record this, um, wow. and so yeah. yeah. But um, 150 is nothing to sneeze at because 150. Thank you very much. 150 weeks of 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 this is you know that's three years. Yeah. That's 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 for real. Yeah, I know. I know. And as I keep telling everybody, every single Saturday morning, yeah. <laughs> like 150 consecutive weeks. I'm not sure that's a good thing, but anyway, that's what that's my life now. <laughs> it's it's now become part of your life. That is for sure. Yes. Well, I have a wonderful drink for us to uh, to to celebrate um, our 150th. Yes. Um, uh, and 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 I I think maybe. Do we have a, 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 a do you have a a book a, a recipes book in your in your bar? Um, because because what we could do is we could we could look this drink up to see if you have these yes. ingredients and see if you've got this in in your bar. Oh. What we're going to be talking is a really fun exotic drink. Um, it's mm-hmm. called the Bufala Negra, uh, and that if it sounds Ooh. Italian, it, it is, um, and it's a bourbon drink. Yes. Um, where we will be looking Ooh. at now this is going to sound a little weird but I wanted to do something special for the 150th mm-hmm. uh, and see if this is in Thank your you. desktop bar book of drinks um, which is <laughs> it's a bourbon your favorite bourbon that you would make with a cocktail mm-hmm. a little ginger ale yes and then and this is mm-hmm. the weird part it's going to sound weird but one teaspoon of really nicely aged balsamic vinegar um, Ooh. And so you get the ginger ale plus the bourbon plus just one teaspoon. It just doesn't yes. take a lot. Just one teaspoon of balsamic vinegar. Um, you uh, can garnish with basil if you like. It sort of adds a nice taste to it. Um, but this is an over ice mm-hmm. drink. The bourbon, ginger ale, and balsamic vinegar are the key uh, ingredients here. And it's, it is a lovely way, especially as a pre-dinner nice. drink. It's just lovely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that sounds nice. Yeah, before we keep recording, I, I have a, a yes. So, yes, I do. Put, listeners may be surprised to learn, and I've just put some ice in my glass, uh, that I do actually have various cocktail-making memorabilia uh, uh, contraptions. And my and also uh, a, couple of, um, a couple of books on making cocktails that my wife has bought me. And the one I had in my desktop bar today, and the reason for it was... Uh, it's called Tequila Mockingbird, and I thought that was a good title for you, right? It's Cocktails with a Literary Twist. Ah, yes, I know that one, yes. The 150th episode, why, yeah, why didn't you go, why didn't you um, do whatever cocktail is on page 150? So I thought, oh, that's a great idea. I'll supply, surprise Robert with it. And there are only 148 pages in the book. So oh. that's put pay to that. So I'm going to have to stick to my regular ingredients of my goth top cocktail bar so i've put some gla- ice in the glass oops just slot some um um oh that's my i've put what am i doing here i put the ice in the glass and i'm using um H- hendrix gin which is we've both established already that that's very similar to um 
Well, it's the English version, really. It's both liquid. Uh, that is, there's definitely both liquid, yeah. yeah. I've lost track of my own joke here. And then the lovely people at Fever Tree, they're not so big fans of the balsamic vinegar. They have just put in some cucumber into my tonic water. I'm going to give this a go. Mm. That's delicious, Robert. What are we calling this? Uh, we call that a bufala negra. Oh, and it sounds uh, a little Italian because it's, there's a little bit of Italian to it with the balsamic vinegar and the basil and the. It's a, but it's uh, it's it's just a lovely little drink. Yes, I could drink one of these every week. It's delicious. Thank you very much. And it's a shame my my uh, cocktail book didn't go to page 150. I should have done that for the hundredth episode, maybe. So <laughs> I'm sure it's I'm sure it would be in there <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> well, I should look because. Um, they, because it's because it's literary themed, I can't find your your buffella, buffella negra, but there's plenty of lovely things in here. Maybe this is what I should be dipping into every week instead of drinking these um, these lovely gin and tonics. <laughs> but yes, all right. So so where on my 150th episode and uh, with these drinks in hand, where are we being whisked off to today, Robert? Oh, I think probably we should, I mean, really, we should do this somewhere because of your 150th show. We should probably Mm -hmm. do this somewhere uh, in London, somewhere. And and probably, and and I meant to ask, is there a favorite haunt that you go to regularly around your home, like a good Mm -hmm. pub or where you spend a lot of time hanging your hat, as it were, uh, chatting with friends and those kinds of things? Um, and I think that's where we should be. We should be somewhere near oh, your home splendid. with a, at a pub, enjoying these things. Mm-hmm. Ah, I think it's splendid. Well, I mean, if it was, if it was, if it was meeting you, I'd probably take you somewhere in London because I've spent a lot of time drinking in London. Very much enjoy that. Or there's some nice little spots in Oxford, which is wonderful. This, uh, well, at most times the Oxford is wonderful. And so, yes, a nice cozy pub in Oxford. I could certainly go with that. That's oh, fantastic. there we go. Oxford. Mm. Maybe I have not been co- to Oxford. I would I would like yeah. to go to Oxford someday. Yeah, yeah. May, uh, I hear there's a college there that's relatively famous. Yes, yeah. It's up and coming. One of the new, you know, <laughs> one of these new schools. <laughs> up and coming. Yes, indeed. <laughs> someday right. they'll make, maybe make a name for themselves. Maybe. Yes. You know what it's like when they, you know, they, they invent these new universities and they, they, they come onto the market and That's they try true. and compete with Yes, so I think they're, they're up and coming. And, and also there's some, there are absolutely some lovely pubs all, all in, the, in the sort of Cotswolds and all around the... Around, lovely. Anyway, so, so, so we're in some very nice Oxfordshire pub, which sounds fantastic. What does conversation turn to once we're done with discussing drinks and all the other things that we normally talk about well i i chose the topic specifically for us since we were going to be celebrating 150 mm-hmm. old shows yes um and we are in the town of oxford which of course is known for its age um <laughs> and we'll talk about something brand new which is this idea of web 3.0 oh i've heard of um, that which <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it it this time last year, of course, this was going to be the rage. Um yes. and the reason I wanted to talk about it is because it's 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 come up of late because a lot of my clients and a lot of the folks who come to my uh classes and training, etc., have said, well, you know, whatever happened to that, right? <laughs> because here we are a year later and uh metaverse is kind of like eh. Um, you know, Facebook and, and Meta, uh, after the name change, not doing too great with it. NFTs at the lowest point that they've ever been in terms of sales numbers and sales prices and really everything around Web3 seems to be uh, in a bit of a stalemate right now. And the interesting thing here is that if you actually peel back beyond that sort of crusty uh, surface, uh, you find that there's a lot of interesting innovation going on and continuing to go on. And what it reminds me very much of is, and you're old enough. um, (laughs) In fact, you and I met during this time period. You're old enough to remember web 2.0 and the emergence of that. Do you remember the 1.0? So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's true too. Yes. 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 I'm still, I'm still absolutely not, 
sure why we seem to need to version number any of this, but anyway, yes, we have 1.0 and then 2.0, but during that web 2.0 transition, you'll remember this Mm -hmm. very well, uh, being in the industry that you were in, there was this thing called, it was this brand new wild new technology that was going to transform every business on the planet. Mm -hmm. And it was called web services. Ah. And web services was going to be the thing. And Microsoft dubbed it .NET. Yeah. And there were magazines built around it and journals built around it. And um, there were all these things. And all of a sudden, all the companies started taking vowels out of their name. <laughs> you know, you had all of these social media technology companies that decided that consonants were the only way that we mm-hmm. were going to spell things. So you got Grindr and Tinder and, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> Tumblr and yeah. all of these companies that started to emerge during this time. And it reminds me very much of where we are today, where the technology itself is overhyped, the names, the buzzwords, but the actual things going on in the background may actually be relatively productive. And there's a number of really cool experiments. And I actually went out and did a little research into some of the brands that are out there trying to make it a thing. Um, And you see Starbucks with a launching a new community around Mm -hmm. NFTs. You see Nike's swoosh community, which is all about building a, a community online, but around the collection of digital art and digital art around the Nike brand. And, um, and then, uh, Bloomingdale's literally the, the department store, uh, in this last Christmas did an entire virtual department store, uh, for all kinds of premium brands like Ralph Lauren and Chanel and Nespresso, and they had a spa room and they all sorts. Now, the interesting thing about all of those that I've sort of did that research on was none of them called it the metaverse and none of them called it NFTs. They just started to use that Mm -hmm. technology. So for example, in Starbucks's case, they didn't use the word NFTs, but they called them digital collectibles. And in Nike's swoosh thing, they don't really call it um, the NFTs um, or they don't work around the idea of, you know, investments or those kinds of things. It's all about just co-creating digital art. And then in Bloomingdale's, they didn't call it a metaverse. They just called it an immersive shopping experience. And that to me is the interesting thing because similar to what happened in Mm -hmm. Web 2.0, the real traction and the real interesting things, especially mm-hmm. in marketing, started to happen after we got yes. over the, yeah, the buzzword yeah, yeah. of it, the yeah. buzzword kind of mentality yeah. of it. And what I've been talking a lot with clients and, and attendees and, and those kinds of things that are asking about it is the interesting thing to me is that it's about the value mm-hmm. and the experience that we create for customers. Rather than the thing itself being valuable. In other words, if we can get over the idea that it's not about NFTs as a valuable collectible, it's about what is the value we're actually creating through the mechanism of an NFT or getting over the idea that the virtual space is valuable, but what is it in the virtual space that makes it valuable? And that is an interesting marketing challenge. It's an interesting branding challenge. And so experimenting and starting to look at these technologies continues to me to be a very interesting thing, but it's really about going back to basics, Mm -hmm. back to our history and learning that what really makes things valuable isn't the absence of vowels Mm -hmm. and isn't the technology and it isn't the, uh, ultimately the, Mm -hmm. the thing itself, but it's the value we create with the thing. And that's, that's, that's just a fascinating thing to me as we come into this. I was, um, I was actually asked for a comment on some of this stuff by a PR agency and I, I replied exactly, probably because I listened too much of your podcast, but I was thinking exactly the same that, um, you know, and it, we won't refer to um, non-fungible tokens as NFTs. We'll refer to them as a, I don't know, customer loyalty program or as a community that we've joined or something like that, right? That the NFT once it has some utility associated with it and is actually useful, we won't we won't get it because it's an F- NFT. We will we will possess something that is technically speaking an NFT, but we won't say it. If the, I think that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because you know, in the earliest parts of this, we started to see companies experimenting and. The idea was, ah, we'll create some yeah. NFTs and sell those as, yeah. you know, special versions of art with the, 
the brand in a funky color or in a 3D rendering and call that an NFT and yeah. offer it for sale and make it a digital collectible. And that's, that's the beginning, end, and, and middle of that campaign. And the, or we'll create a virtual mm-hmm. space where you can, I mean, I remember distinctly, this is going back uh, to the beginning mm-hmm. of 2022 when uh, mm-hmm. Chase, the bank, had their quote unquote metaverse launch. And it was literally just part of the, I think it was the Facebook mm-hmm. uh, yeah. online metaverse. And it, there was yeah. no utility to it at all. You just literally, you walked in at, at virtually, yeah. of course, you walked in. Uh, this was before actually you had legs <laughs> in, the, in the Facebook metaverse. But you would sort of walk in, and yeah. I'll use that word in quotes, and you could see the logo and you could read a letter from Jamie Dimon, the CEO of Chase. Wow. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. And so the. And and everybody yeah. goes, yay! We've yeah. we've done a metaverse thing. It's a that's yeah. not the value. That's not the campaign. That's not the yeah. that's not a strategy. The strategy is doing something like what Bloomingdale's did, not calling it the metaverse, mm-hmm. not caring that the fact that it was in a virtual, but taking advantage of that to say, here's a shopping yes. experience that's different that you may want to have fun with and play with and go in and yeah. and and look at the products and be able to have you know go in and communicate and have community with people in this yeah. in this virtual space that's, that's the value starbucks providing actual loyalty points and loyalty uh ways to uh, spend mm. those things is the value not the fact that they're actually mm. nft absolutely. Right? absolutely so you, so that's kind of your prediction for this year that it will move beyond the technical term and and but and those examples right are because they're they're brand perceived value in associating themselves with these cool new trends and therefore we're using those trends metaverse nft whereas now as the as that kind of as that bubble uh, as the froth dies down as it were then there's going to be more value in them and giving more utility so these will be like you say shopping experiences or loyalty experiences and that kind of thing and it won't the technical terminology won't give it any extra sexy sizzle yeah yeah that's right in the same way in the in the same way that we have gone beyond you know like customers in the early days of web 2.0 right it was all web services this and web services that and web services this and open apis and 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 we don't talk Mm -hmm. about any of that anymore that's just sort of Mm -hmm. a foregone conclusion right it's just you know when i started to explain web services to someone who literally is just out of university and is talking and i started talking about how novel it was (laughs) to be able to open a website and have it communicate with other services and have software actually things that you know you open up word and actually it communicates over the internet to pull in different ways to yeah, yeah. Know, things like grammarly yeah. or or those kinds of things that all communicate via quote unquote web services yeah. and how novel that was <laughs> they were like you're kidding me that sounds so basic like, yes yeah. it is yeah, now absolutely. but it wasn't absolutely. then and then, i mean exactly and, and and what we're seeing with the the, the current conversation around uh, I hate to say it because everybody's saying chat GPT, but it's the same with that, isn't it? That the, the buzz will wear off and it'll become a utility and it'll, it'll, it'll become part of our tools that we use all the time. And, and as you say, it will, it will, you know, we won't refer to it so much. It would just. Yes. Chat GPT, yeah, there's exactly. a term will, exactly. will exactly. go away very, very quickly, right? Yeah. It's, it's going to be branded as yeah, yeah. something else within the, you know, I mean, and I mentioned this on the podcast as well, uh, not too long ago, but I'm still, I think the most fascinating question to me with AI and the way that mm-hmm. it'll be integrated into our yeah. regular workflow is, does it end up being yeah. a web service it's kind right. of thing where it's just sort of embedded, right? Where you just, you buy products that have the operating system yeah. of AI included in it. And it's just feeds the various functionality that you need in whatever application you're in or does each application have their own flavor of it right and i don't i can't make an argument yeah. convincingly either way yet but i think or i i guess i the, the other the opposite way to say that is i can make mm. an argument either way um but yeah. I, it, that to me is a fascinating question over the next um next couple of years is to say how will we be absolutely. served ai absolutely all right. Yes. And we will move on from referring to Web3 and start talking about whatever the thing, next thing is that we need to start 
focusing on, right? Exactly. Good So, um, if people want to, um, let me see, want, want to uh, engage with some proper old school Web 2 content that talks about Web 3, where might they find that? Well, they'll find me at our little hovel on the website, yes. or on the web, rather, our website yeah. called contentadvisory.net. And then, of course, I write yeah, every week for the Rose Content Marketing Tinted Institute. Specs is the regular rose-tinted something. Rose colored glasses. Rose-colored get glasses. Get the brand Jeez, right. God, yeah, and, and that's from a fan. That's <laughs> terrible. Sorry, man. And, of course, um, we mentioned your podcast, which is called This Old Marketing as well. And um, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? They'll find me mostly on LinkedIn these days. I'm still mm-hmm. off Twitter for now. We'll see what happens over the next few weeks as his debt payments come due. Um, and I'm still enjoying <laughs> very much. I'm, I'm, in, I'm enjoying Mastodon very much, I have to say. Yeah. Still. Yeah, and nice. very, very happy to see that some of the social publishing tools are now including Mastodon. Mm. Um, in their uh, in their integration, so I'm I'm, oh, I'm yeah. grateful for that. That's yeah. the, the sooner that happened, better. Um, but yeah, that's where yeah. I'll be. I'm on Mastodon and, and LinkedIn cool. are the places to find me. Very cool. All right, mate. Well, I'll include all those links in the show notes. Thank you very much. But most importantly for me, will you be in the bar next week? I will indeed. Excellent. I'll see you. Then. Cheers, buddy. Thank you, Robert, for helping me celebrate 150 episodes there and for being here for most of it. So that's a wrap on episode 150 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks to Jeff, Leslie and Robert for sharing their insight and to you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. Please let us know what you think. You can contact us through our website, rockstarcmo.com. Catch us on the socials. We are Rockstar CMO just about everywhere or leave a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening I'm glad you're here next week Jeff Park will be back in the marketing studio I have a fascinating conversation backstage with Shamir Dufisero co-founder of Panda Labs and Robert Rose will be back in the virtual bar until then have a great week and I hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.